Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is a former research chemist turned geopolitical and market analyst. He is the publisher of Gold, Goats, and Guns newsletter, as well as the host of the podcast by the same name. Please welcome to the show, Tom Luongo. Tom, how are you? I am good, Mikkel. How are you? Thank you for the invite. I'm very, very good. And I love the name of your newsletter in the podcast. I thought I would just throw that out there right at the beginning. Oh, good. Because my because for years, my partner in, in crime in this, Dexter White, hated it. And he kept trying. We kept trying. I'm like, by the time we got around to thinking about changing it, it was too well established. So it's just funny. We've made it work with what we both consider both a very cool, but bad branding name. So it's all it's all good. I think it's a great branding name. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> So, Tom, let's start things off. Kind of tell us a little bit about your backstory. How did you go from chemist research now into analyst? You know, I, I'm curious about this piece of the puzzle. It's not that hard. I have a BS in chemistry and I have a background and my BS in chemistry also came with nearly a BA in English literature as well. So I spent a lot of time in the creative writing department. So I've always wanted to be a writer, but here I am. I'm 40 years old or so. It's 2011. I am now 42 years old or so. And uh, I don't have a BS. I don't have an MS. I don't have uh, a PhD. I don't have an MBA. I can't run a research. I'm not qualified to run my, the research department I just got laid off from, which was, for all intents and purposes, a research department of one. And I was working in electrolysis and nickel boron, and which I did a bang up job on. And the company's still running today, though the coding that I perfected wasn't, a, didn't want, didn't blow up the way we had hoped. It didn't perform the way we had hoped it did. I went there to with the startup. I spent five and a half years away from home. And then one day they ran out of VC money, venture capitalist money, and, you know, middle of 2011. And I was the future products guy and there were no future products. So you don't have to come back on Monday. We'll send your stuff to you. Because I was literally, I was home for the weekend and everybody felt really bad about it, but it is what it is. It's not a big deal. So once that happened and I spent the next few months trying to get a job, even just like working at Civitan, like analyzing, this isn't even a bench kit, just basic $25,000 a year bench chem and stuff. I couldn't get a job here in North Florida. And there were plenty of jobs to be had. They just were like, dude, he's too overqualified for this. And so very quickly, I just started like, throwing my, you know, just to make some money here and there while that was going on. I went over and I did, you know, I sort of in the early days today, it would be Fiverr, but then it was Elance. And so you just, I just put myself up there on Elance and, and getting, you know, work for, you know, five bucks an article, 10 bucks an article, whatever. And eventually just, I fell in with a guy over in Vietnam and he taught me how to, I'll be honest with you, taught me how to write financial research. He taught me how to read a balance sheet, taught me how to do a lot of things. And honestly taught me how to do the technical analysis the way I do it today. And I wound up ghostwriting his book. And then after that happened, eventually I had to like, you know, we were trying to build a business and asset man. He, he had pretensions to wanting to become an asset manager. I do not know if that ever happened. Uh, I think it did. And I just ran out of runway and started writing for Seeking Alpha under my own name. Started writing in gold. And December, I actually I wrote my first article under my own name in Seeking Alpha on Christmas Day, 2012. But and on June 25th, 2013, I got an email from Jeff Gastian over at Newsmax. And 
they offered me, and that was a opening to a conversation about writing their gold financial newsletter at the time, Gold Stock Advisor. And I got the job in September. And oh, actually, I was I got the job within a month. And I was writing the September issue, which for Newsmax meant I was writing that issue at the end of July. So within a month of that happening, I got hired, brought down the Newsmax, signed the contract, met Chris Ruddy, the whole nine yards, and they handed me a five million dollar year newsletter. <laughs> Not bad as a first. Uh... <laughs> and then after, and now, and then after that, I, I did that work with them for about four years, and then I got let go uh, for reasons I'm not. I can only speculate about. But it is what it is, and they were very good to me during the time I was there, and they taught me a lot, and they paid me very well. And you know, I walked out the door with my head held high and said, "Well, I can go do this. Pub. I can go do this my own." I proved that I proved something about the newsletter writing business that I think nobody wanted to realize, which is that the traditional shout-based, almost nigh-on to fraudulent advertising system of you know the the heavy copywriting, the Porter Stansberry Agora model. So Newsmax is built on the same model. It's a very high acquisition, initial acquisition with a high attrition rate model. It's promise a lot and hope you get to keep everybody who's on board. I don't believe in that. I believe in give people the unvarnished truth as much as possible and build organically and give them superlative analysis. I mean, again, I'm not saying that everything I do is superlative. I'm saying is you do with you do with your with your people as the best you can do, right? And you take them along and you tell them a story that they're not hearing anywhere else. And you'll build a brand loyalty that is off the charts. And we've done that. And I knew that the years I did, you know, first Gold Stock Advisor and then Resolute Wealth Letter for Newsmax, I knew that that, was, that model worked. And all I had to do was, as opposed to getting this small percentage of revenue that I got from Newsmax, that if I did it independently and I went to Patreon and I get to keep 95% of my revenue, I didn't need to have 15 or 18,000 people following me. All I needed was 1,000 and I could live a nice, comfortable, middle-class lifestyle and say whatever the hell I wanted, which is exactly what I've done, except it's a little bigger than that now. And that's cool and that's gratifying and that's, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. It is what it is. But the intention was never, the the goal was never anything other than I just want to be free to live exactly the way I wanted to live and say the things that whatever crazy shit came into my head. If, if that's a, if if I'm allowed to, you know, be color, be <laughs> yeah. salty and colorful as it were. And I, I'll you start are with, on this podcast. You absolutely okay. Are. So fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> That being said, you know, once I got to that state, then like then you're free and and now you can do whatever the hell you want. And as long as people understood that whatever it was you were doing was honest, even if you got it wrong, which was a lesson that I learned, a lesson that I understood I had to that goes back to the initial interview with I had with Newsmax. When I got asked by the woman who had become my editor, you know, I said, What's more important to you, being right or being true? And I said, of course, it's being true. I have a failing as a human being, which is why I don't trade, by the way. I don't I don't trade I give, because I can't. I'm terrible at it. If I have a fault, is that I hold on to ideas that I've, I've gestated too long. In, in investing, buying is easy and selling is hard. It's like, you know, in acting, dying is easy, but comedy is hard, right? It's the same kind of thing. So you have this. And buying and dying, having having to rhyme. That's why every time I say that, I always get that image of Peter O'Toole on his deathbed, and and or the, Peter O'Toole at the end of my favorite year saying, "Dying is easy, comedy is hard." And that's a movie that I, I'm ashamed to admit I've probably seen 30 times. You know, when you understand your own limitations that way, and but you're honest about them, your audience will always forgive you. And then when they also realize that by doing that. And you are willing to throw whatever it is at the whiteboard and see if it sticks and then use the scientist, effectively use the scientific method to go, here's a hypothesis. Here's some data. Does this track? No. Okay, let's try that one. Does that track? No. And then like, well, it all kind of fits, but I'm going to assign a 75% probability to that one and a 25% probability to that one. Tune into the live stream next week as I rant into a microphone with and with with two shots of whiskey and a and a cigar. And let's find out if I was right about these things, right? And this is the what you did. And it's a slow process, but by God, does it build brand loyalty in, in a way that is almost it, it is humbling, but it's almost overwhelming. 
So I have a question for you then, because if your main goal was freedom on all of these things and you use a platform like Patreon or something like that, I would always be really worried about having to self-censor what I was going to say. The majority of the work that I do is not on social media. It's not on big platforms. I don't get paid on any of these things. I have a podcast, which is naturally decentralized. There's a couple of places where a podcast kind of gets aggregated, but really it's, it's, it's a very decentralized platform. And then a blog and a email newsletter. Like the email newsletter for me is everything, you know, without that, it's very hard, but I also have redundancies in place. And, you know, if you look at my social media platform, it's abysmal. My social media is, is very small because we put zero effort into anything like that because I never wanted to be censored on what I was going to say on these things. So for someone who was really seeking truth, but now has built a platform of your own, but are using some of these things, what do you think about what's going on with censorship right now? Well, the thing is, and I've made this, I've written about Patreon and my position on it and their past and everything else. It's the real worry. I, I've been asked directly by people, like I was asked by James Dellingpole when I was on his podcast, what do you think about the Kazari Mafia? I said, I don't think about anything about it because I like my platform too much. So you got to say, there's certain topics we know we're not supposed to talk about. That doesn't mean we can't talk about them without talking about them. That's like the thing on, on, on Twitter now is tell me you're a moron without telling me you're a moron. Then they put up some meme. Well, it's the same kind of thing. Like, tell me X and about, you know, like, I don't need to go there. And invariably someone who says to you, some, for example, name the Jew, that person probably glows. Okay. That person is probably a fed or a bot or a plant or some other thing. I have to watch about this very carefully because I have a private discussion server that we run as well, along with gold, 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 goods and guns. I got a private Slack server. I just use a free instance of Slack and we just chat on it all day long. And I, and I tell people all the time, whenever I'm on an interview, I said, look, I have the, I have the greatest curated research team in the world. These people are all so motivated by what I say that they want to help me stay informed as to what's going on. And they pay me for the privilege of doing so, which is insane. <laughs> and I'm like, but that's how much loyalty you've driven with these people because what they want is an outlet for their crazy ideas. Now, I've said this. I've, I've had this conversation with, with prominent patrons. I mean prominent. I mean ones that are prominent members of the community who speak all the time and who have been with me for years. And I've said, I said, dude, what the hell are you doing? He's like, I just want to know that the ideas that are in my head, they have a conduit. And you know, pay you 12 bucks a month for the privilege along with everything else that I get and the benefit that I get? Are you kidding me? It's just the cheapest $12 I spend every month. I'm like, okay. And am I worried about censorship? All the time, all the time. But you know, do we have a hot spare for the WordPress site? Yes. Do we have the email lists to recreate the Patreons? Yes. And what I've said about Patreon is that, and this is some one of the I think this is a theme I hit all the time. And I've been accused of being a cuck about this as well. And I find that hilarious. But, you know, whatever, people are, are who they are, which is the following. Do I think that there are people, that there are tumblerinas at Patreon that want to censor certain people? Yes. Patreon is a small company, five and a half million dollars worth of revenue, 45, less than 50 people, right? Do I believe that there's some tumblerinas out there in Silicon Valley? Of course. Do I believe that everybody who's ever been censored on Patreon? was censored by a Tumblrina? Or have some of those people been censored because Patreon was going to lose their entire business because George Soros or whomever came in and said, you will get rid of Jordan Peterson, Sargon of Akkad, this one, that one, that one, that one. Because if you don't, we're going to seize your bank account. We're going to take away your DNS. We're going to take away that we're we're going to, you know, we're going to do to you what we did to Gab. And I was one of the first people to sign up for Gab. And I think Andrew Torba's fucking madman he's awesome and he's like i love the guy i don't ha hang out on gab because it never multiplied for me it was never good social media platform for me that being said I, I gave it an honest attempt for a long time to cross post there as opposed to going to twitter i ab reacted like everybody else did to twitter's initial censorship and all the rest of it and then you come down to it and you say they may be as much of a victim patreon as everybody else is in all of this and so maybe they make the decision like I do to not talk about the Kazari Mafia. They make the decision to go, well, this is what I got to do to save the 99% of the people who we do serve and including the edgy ones like me, who they've never, ever done anything to. And at the same time, I also know that Patreon is getting – because I can see it. I get emails from patrons all the time. I'm no longer getting emails. 
They're not in my spam folder. And yet you look and they're still signed up. That's because Microsoft and Google are auto-junking the emails from certain Patreon creators in order to make sure, in order to create the I, the illusion that that creator is no longer producing content and is just taking your money from you. I've run into this. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So I've been I've told my patrons over and over and over again, get a Proton Mail or a Tutanota account. Set that as your Patreon email so that you won't have that problem. And then once you set a proper spam filter on those things, it will never for as you know, for whatever, unless you're willing to run your own email server. Or you just you know that I put out the market reports every month Wednesday and Sunday, and then just check the blog list, you know, check the the feed in case I wrote something on Monday or put something out, you know, earlier in the week. Like I've seen it firsthand that the censorship issue is multi-layered. And who better in this fight to get people pissed off with? than the ones you interact with. That's the thing you really need to understand. I'm not absolving them of any blame. It's, but the truth is probably closer to a mixture between Tumblrina X and Shitlib CEO X. Why? Getting rid of anybody they don't like and them being a victim of a coordinated campaign against them. And so then they have to decide how are they going to set up their hot spares? How are they going to be able to do their business? Blah, blah, blah. Do they have an anti-fragile business or don't they? And so, yeah, man, like it's hard. And that's what we have to be willing to, to do. I don't talk about everything I would like to talk about, but I have a brand at this point that is specifically the intersection of geopolitics and markets and a little bit of culture stuff. And that's what I focus on, and that's what I talk about. And then, hey, we don't have to talk about everything that's in our heads. You know, we need to. We always need to stay on point. As you know, as you and I discussed right before we hit the record button, you said, you know, we have a. I have a, an ethos here at the podcast about what this is about. And so, navigating your way through the freedom discussion, which is a very important thing to me, I, I very important, is real, and it's abiding. And you can be all John Galt about it, or you can be a little Dagny Taggart about it, and you can try and make it work as best as possible because it's better to have, you know, 90% of your impact than zero and have all of your. I actually agree with that very strongly because actually what has happened to me throughout my career of, of putting out this podcast and my newsletter and the books and everything like that is I will often have a lot of my clients who are saying to me, well, why aren't you talking about this on the program? Why aren't you talking about that? And I'm like, listen, I spend six to eight hours a day on Zoom doing consultation calls, helping people with my little sliver of, of the piece of the puzzle. I don't spend all day going down every single rabbit hole of what these evil bastards are doing to all of us. That's just not my piece of the puzzle. I'm focused on solutions. So for my work, it's taxes, immigration, these types of things. It's a very, very narrow, but I know that's where I can make the most amount of impact. So I focus on helping people with those. You know, Tom, what's going on out in the world. I know all of our listeners here today, they know there's some legit evil people out there. There's some nasty things going on. But if we spend all day just researching about what they're doing to us, that's really not going to help us with freedom. Like I always say, I am the practical side of libertarianism. I'm not the theoretical side. Absolutely. No, this is exactly the point. Like, because well, that's what you're going to do with eight hours of your day as opposed to actually going out and donating your time at a soup kitchen or donating some time to the local private school. And, and like my wife teaches a pottery class over at my daughter's school. Like that news for you. She's doing more work than you are sitting there. <laughs> reading some other article by some other supposedly prominent libertarian who's uncovered some new truth about, I don't know, Jamie Dimon that you didn't know yesterday. Who gives a shit? I mean, I'm dead serious. I'm like, I'm, I'm so over the guilt by association game. I'm so over all of this. Like I look at guys, I'll be on, I name names. I look at guys like James Corbett and to, and I, I don't like Corbett, but I, I have a soft spot for Whitney Webb and Ryan Christian, the last American vagabond. I think they're good people, but I, I sit there and go, and What's the point? What's the solution to the problem? I'm so solution orientated. Like I don't doom scroll all day long. I have clients of mine who who are constantly doom scrolling and they're just sending me this stuff. And I'm like, okay, let's focus on the positive things. It's a nice sunny day. Your family's here. You're safe. Your investments are going up. We got precious metals for you. We got the structures. We got you another passport. We got you all these things. Right. 
let's try to have you like help you into enjoy your life because I think that there are practical steps. I think that there are things that we need to do to protect ourselves. But once we get to a certain point and we're no longer the low hanging fruit, then it's like from my side, it's like, let's try to enjoy our lives. Let's, let's eat some nice food, drink some red wine, have a coffee, have some fun. And because otherwise, if you keep down this dark path, actually you're letting them win because they're ruining your life. So it's like, we need to identify what the problem is. We need to not bury our head in the sand, but once we know what's going on, let's do something about it and then move on because you just, you can't spend eight hours a day, seven days a week, just doom scrolling. It's not good for you. It's actually really quite bad for you. And while I was building the business out and building the reputation and building the, you know, people's trust and building an audience, and I'm still building an audience. I did that. I had to do that. You know, writing and or doom scrolling eight to 10, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. But that's business startup, right? That's not, that's not a way to live your life. But you talk about everything you can and you talk about diet and you talk about exercise and you talk about all you talk about all the things you need to talk about like and and, and still try and stay healthy within it and at the same time it is really important that at a certain point you take a step back and i've had many people just look at me and go, you know I, I don't you know i still subscribe but i don't listen to everything that comes out you put out way too much content i'm like good like i just I get that too <laughs> yeah i put out plenty i put out plenty of content i try to respond to as many interview requests as i can handle but at the same time, I like to put out enough visible content to continue to grow the business. Because I think that, look, again, once you get to a certain point in this, you now have a responsibility. I feel very strongly have a responsibility to, you've curated this audience, now you have a responsibility to lead them and lead them where they need to go. And if you can continue to build that audience and they don't necessarily have to continue to build it it's that it has nothing to do with money you continue to build the audience in an organic manner that they can't stop in an anti-fragile manner that they can't stop you become uniquely positioned to affect the outcome of the zeitgeist the change of the zeitgeist what we've found dexter and i is we find ourselves getting quoted back to ourselves all the time and it's kind of cool. It's kind of fun. But then there comes the responsibility of what it means. And you're like, okay, who's listening to this? Who's really listening to this? And you're like, okay, now we have a responsibility to lead the conversation forward and now set the agenda. We set the agenda, not Klaus Schwab. And you may consider that hubristic or whatever, fine. I don't care. But if I didn't have it happening, I wouldn't be thinking in those terms. I would just be out there doing my thing every day, trying to you know find – but I'm telling you, I have run into people who read my work on Zero Hedge, and I have no – and I, I reach out to them, become members, become guests on the podcast, and they're like, oh, my God, I'm a huge fan of your work. Of course, I, I, I'd be honored to be on your podcast. I'm like, well, what the – what you're talking about like i could never imagine that i'd reach into that portion of the world right and never in a million years i'm like yeah and like oh shit you're not just out there schizo posting into the into the ether anymore you're not like dude people are listening to what you have to say like oh shit and now you have to and then it's not a matter of self-censoring it's a matter of being a good editor as to what it is that you want to present to the public and to the world and you go from there so Responsibility is something that I feel very, very strong with my audience. The people who are listening to this program, Tom, are people who are thinking about living overseas or moving overseas. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people are already, but there's probably five times as much who are, are listening to this and are thinking about it. So there's a massive amount of responsibility. This is this is my my people's lives. So I take that very, very seriously. This is something that it can be 11 o'clock at night and something will need to be done or I'll remember a client that I need to respond to. And I will jump out of bed and in my pajamas, sit there and write an email to them at 11, 11.30 at night. And it's just like, it's an ongoing thing around the clock. Even I go on vacation with my wife. We live down here in Central America, but we'll go out to the Caribbean for a week and I'll still be all day long dealing with emails and answering questions and responding in the best 
timely fashion that I can. And my clients who are listening to this will recognize this. Like I have gotten a thousand times from people like, wow, thanks for responding, you know, with a not a canned response, but like a well thought out response. I take the time because I really care about these people. And I think to go back to your originally point, when you look at some of these newsletters and info type of business, where it's just someone emotionally manipulating you with the marketing to get you into the business. And then maybe, maybe not actually providing or really having that level of depth and caring. I think with the big companies, I think that it's really tough to provide that. But as an entrepreneur like you are and like I am, this is our lives. Like we're real guys and we feel responsibility that we need to do this. And I think it's important to support people like this instead of the big conglomerates all the time. Well, again, I, I, I'm back to working with Newsmax. Remember, like they, they called me back in 2019 to edit uh, Ultimate Wealth Report because I had been successful in building an entire brand and now I'm on zero hedge for I was actually sake. thinking about one other company while I was saying that, but I won't say their name. So. That's fine. Fair yeah. enough. And Newsmax has been, has been very, like I said before, they've been very good to me in that respect. And I was happy to take the the phone call as well time because it, it did a, a bang up job of supporting me at a time when this business was still growing and in terms of monetary, I it wasn't enough. Like Dexter was still working for free for Christ's sake. And we were making, we weren't making enough money to keep both of us and yada, yada, yada. So when that occurred, when that happened, it was beautifully timed, right? For us. And the responsibility is I, I, I don't, I'm never that far from this thing. Right. And I'm never, people need to get a hold of me. They can get a hold of me in like three different ways. The one thing I do do is that dms that i get on patreon from patrons i just process that that inbox first thing every morning so stuff comes in all day long and i, I unless it's something that's re i really need to respond to I'll, i mean i get the emails and i read them but generally speaking oh someone sent you a message on, I'm like, oh i got 20 things i gotta clear in the morning fine and you go through and you answer everybody in in turn and, and you do what needs to be done and then you move on. But for the most part, everybody knows that because I make it abundantly clear. I'm like, this is the first thing I do every morning. So just and try and do it every day. And then as far as you know, the private Slack server is concerned, I'm we're constantly I, I check that. Like that's how I check the internet now. I just go to my private Slack server and I've got I just scroll through the 35 freaking forums that we have, which is insane. Everything from funny memes to the geopolitics forum, the money forum, the domestic politics forum. The Ozint forum, the this forum, that I mean, dude, it's it's it's, it's immense, and there's a couple hundred people in there putting stuff in on a daily basis and chatting amongst themselves and trying to figure stuff out and and all the rest of it. And it's, I I, I check that eight, if I check check Slack ten times a day, it's a minimum. That's even on. I just went to did a five day stint. I went to Edmonton to to record a a live show with Alex Craner for Sean Newman over in Lloydminster, Alberta, which was great. Yeah, I know Alex as well. He's a good yeah, guy. Uh, Alex is Alex is immense. And we finally got a chance to meet in person, and all the happy all the happy jazz was like it was great. And the entire time I was there, even though I didn't realize that uh, Metro PCS had cut my phone off for not buying. For not paying them for the ten dollars for the can I added Canada to my phone. I didn't pay them immediately, so they shut my service off for non-payment, which was hilarious. And so I was only under Wi-Fi for the five days. And I was just constantly checking my phone and did my thing, and never really out of uh, contact. And thankfully, half the people that I was most everybody that I was trying to coordinate with up in Canada was also on iMessage. Apple iMessage. So we were actually I was actually getting texts from those people, but I was getting zero texts from anybody else. And Sometimes I'm such a Luddite that I don't even remember that. Oh yeah, right. The ones that come in in green are iMessage, and when that comes in, there comes in blue or actual text. I'm like, I didn't even know that. So and realize it. So, but it's just funny. I, I've I've always believed that if you do good work and you do it honestly, you'll find your audience, however big that audience is. And what you hope for in all of this is that the audience is big enough that it'll keep you alive, and you can do the thing you want to do in your life, as opposed to the thing you need to do. And it may take you, and it may take you 40 or 50 years to get there like I did. And it did literally take me 55 years to get there, but now I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Well, let's circle back on a little bit on the self-censorship, because I think that this is such a fascinating topic and one that we've not necessarily discussed on here. Mm. Sometimes I wonder, you know, there's the blatant censorship that we've seen Twitter under previous owners and Facebook all the time, always nonstop. The suppression of, of ideas. And if you even put a word that starts with a V... Yeah, I just I went post Facebook in 2017 and I never looked back. So yeah. But so okay, so there's this blatant censorship that we all know. But then it's this self-censorship that sometimes I think about that still there 
end up winning a lot of times because we really have to watch what we say. I know that it's a give and take as we were talking about before, but I don't know. It's just a kind of a slippery slope, how they're actually changing public opinion and what we believe now is, is conversations we can have in public and conversations we can't have. I won't even have certain conversations if my phone is in the same room as me. That's very true. Some people might think that's crazy. I think that that's just, I think that's legit. Like we were at a sports bar in Lloydminster and me and about four other people, Alex was there and a couple other patrons and we were having a discussion and the, the discussion started to go into a certain direction. I just picked up my phone and went, ah, that's good. This one's getting turned off. And everybody was like, oh yeah, good idea. <laughs> yeah, it's a phones off meeting. I've had lots of calls and uh, lot, lots of conversations with friends of mine, especially if we were having a couple of drinks or having a cigar or something like that. And it's like, okay, phones in the other room, power off and close the door. That type of behavior 10 years ago was, I mean, we just, I just never thought about things like this. Now it's like everyday pragmatic behavior. That's it weird. Is, it is weird. It's, it's weird and it's sad and it's also temporary. You reckon? If you are looking for an excellent privacy phone, then I encourage you to check out riseabovephone.com. These are completely de-googled phones that can't track or spy on you. To fight back against what is happening in the world, we need to take back our privacy. And the best place to start is at riseabovephone.com. Expat Money listeners can get $50 off on any of their phone models by using coupon code expatprivacy. Go to riseabovephone.com and use coupon code expatprivacy for $50 off of your purchase. That's riseabovephone.com. I do. I do. I think it's temporary. I think it's temporary. I think that this, I think the entire security state apparatus is the thing that they are desperately trying to hold on to as the me. And I don't, I'm not saying it's going to be like, you know, tomorrow it's going to collapse. It's like, it's going to probably collapse by the time that I'm, okay, I'm seven years away from social security because I'm an asshole and I'm taking it at 62, regardless of what comes to hell or high water. I never thought I'd ever see social security. So a dollar from social security. So, dude, if I'm there at 62 and it's still, and they're still paying out. I'm taking it. I, I still don't think I'm going to get a dollar, but whatever. But I think once the situation starts to, I, I think we're probably reaching the bottom of the dark age. I think this is almost as bad as it gets. I don't think Klaus Schwab and company are going to win. I don't think they're going to get their, their, as I put it, minority report with more Germans. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think they think that's going to happen. I think they continue to push as if it is going to happen. But you know, when I said, I, I was talking to a friend of mine on a patron yesterday, and he was telling me he, was, he just went to a conference where a bunch of military contractors are there, and he was like, dude, the cope there was so hard. They have no idea. They are so out of the loop relative to what's actually going on in Russia and what's going on in their own in their own industry. They have no clue that we are we are so better informed, even the average normie in America who is just vaguely distrustful of what's going on. With the ones who are like, yeah, no, Biden should should debate. Not even those people, like, that kind of understand that, yeah, they, there was some hinky shit went on with the election. Yeah, think, but okay, fine. Like those people are better informed than the people inside the DC Beltway bubble. They are so deeply in an echo chamber, like it's they live in an echo chamber so small, it would rent for less than four hundred dollars a month on the Upper East Side. <laughs> okay? okay, so. Like when you realize that that's the situation, this thing is far closer to collapsing than it is to perpetuating itself. And every day I become more convinced of that. When I listen to the pronouncements coming out of the Bonderlands and the Schwabs and the John Kerry's and the rest of it, I can just like John Kerry on French television the other night getting fucking destroyed by some you know, French journalist who was usually would just be a poodle and just roll over and let him say whatever he was going to say. And she's like, uh, so if Putin's a war criminal, what about George W. Bush and Iraq? And he had no answer. So it's happening. It's here. We can see them. They know we can, the many of them know that we can see them. We can see that they can see that we can see them. It's, it, we're at that point. And someday someone is just going to stand up and go, no, excuse me, Klaus, you're wearing a Klingon outfit and you, and you drink baby's blood. <laughs> we know that's what you're doing. Legit, legit, legit on that last point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's time for you to go to the home. 
Yeah. Right. And that's just, and I, I've said this many times and I'll say it again. It's going to come to a point where we're just going to like, no, it's you don't rule the world anymore. It's time to go over here. It's time to take your medication. Show me your tongue. Show me your tongue. <laughs> There's your picture of Donald Trump. You can yell at him in the corner all you want. He's right there. I got a six foot picture of him. You just, just make sure that you take your medication and we don't care. So. So do you think there is going to be a reckoning though? Do you think that people are going to have to pay for all of the damage that they've done over the last three years? I actually don't even know if I care at this point, to be honest with you. I think a lot of us, I mean, the, the, we all have a, uh, an overdeveloped sense of justice, right? Like it's, it's wrong that what they've done. Will there be Nuremberg 2.0 trials on what's going on with the vaccines and this, that, and everything? Possible. But most likely what will happen is people will just be so sick of it. They just like, you know what? Just leave. Just here's, like I said, show me your tongue, go to the corner, take your medication and be done with it and get it and get out of the way. You, you're not that smart. But the problem is, is that between now and then we're going to be dealing with people who absolutely in every way, manner, shape and form will not go gently into that good night. And they have proven to us that they would rather burn the world down than give up power. And so they're going to make it hard on. We're going to be tested in ways that we've never been tested before. And I mean the current generations. That's okay. It's necessary. It's what we have to do. And you can see how hard they're fighting to allow people of my age to take power because they know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to, turn, we're going to put this whole idea of the Great Reset and all the rest of it into a museum. And we're going to write books about it. And we're going to put these people up against the firing, you know, up against the wall and, you know, 21 guns salute them. Metaphorically speaking, of course, in Minecraft, it, that's what's going to happen. And they know that. They know that we're not interested in this. The bigger question is whether we can get the – we can convince the generation behind us that this is what needs to happen. They've been listening to their boomer grandparents for all their lives, thinking that all this equity and diversity shit is actually going to make them stronger. It's not. It's destroying them. And if it doesn't get any better, well, then I'm going to be a real ugly curmudgeon as I get older. And yeah, and I won't be in the United States, but I also don't think the United States is going to last through that. If the, if the millennials do not grow a clue in the next five years, like when, if they don't grow a clue when, when the, the, the King of England and Klaus Schwab decide to send them over and send their kids over to fight in Ukraine to, you know, for the apotheosis of the Brits war against the Russians that's been going on for 300 fucking years. If that doesn't wake them the fuck up as to what the situation actually is, nothing will, but then I'll be on a beach in Mexico. Exactly. You can come hire my services, Tom. We'll get you relocated. We'll get rid of that tax bill for you. We'll be drinking margaritas down here in Latin America and, and we'll just wait it out. Straight rye, rye whiskey, Mikel. That's that's yeah. all I drink. Straight <laughs> rye whiskey with a little bit of water in it and you know, and a Maduro, and I'm good. Okay. <laughs> little Crown Royal. I got some Crown Royal Harvest. What is it called? Har Harvest Blend or something like that, a special edition one. That's not sound bad. I like, I like Crown. I bet I'm, a, I'm just a big fan of like straight rye whiskeys. I got a particular couple in, in particular that I really like. The High West out of Utah is fucking phenomenal. Straight double rye. It's unbelievable. It's really Amazing. good. Yeah, it's really good. Hell, even Jack Daniels makes a decent rye at this point. Scary. <laughs> okay. No, I think that you're right, though, because I think that the name of the game is to protect yourself, mm -hmm. protect what you got, protect your family, and get out of the, the firing lines and go back to living your life. Like, I just don't think, to, you know, to circle back what we were saying before, don't spend all day long doom scrolling. I don't think that the left and the right are going to get along anytime soon in the US. I think that this just, massive division. I don't think that's coming back. Humpty Dumpty is not being put back together. I'll say this. This is the, this is the thing. It's possible, right? I, I continue to make the argument that the most likely outcome is that the United States is going to break up. Don't you think that would be better for everyone involved? Like just divorce? No, not yet. Hear me out. All right. Has to happen on our terms, not on their terms. They want it to happen in the next four, three or four. On the Klaus Schwab terms or on the? Yes, on, Klaus, on the Klaus Schwab, George Soros terms that they're trying to destroy us from within and you know all this Davosian bullshit, right? And that I firmly believe that Jay Powell is looking at going, you know what? 7%. Fuck you. You think you're going to break the United States up? 7%. You're going to go to war in Ukraine? 7%. This is what I think. This is what I think is going on inside the Federal Reserve right now. I, I, I've, felt, I've felt this for two years. 
And and you can see it in the desperation coming out of MI6. You can see it in the desperation coming out of the British Foreign Office. You can see it coming out of the CIA and the State Department and the, and the Khazari Mafia of Victoria Newland and company. You can see it on their faces. You can see it in how they reacted this weekend to Bergosian's little stunt. Okay? It's everywhere. And they are that desperate. And at the end of the day, war is expensive and you can't fight it at 7%. You can't. Okay? Or for very long, you can't. Sure. Unless you have a massive trade surplus and you're a massive exporter, which we're not. Well, we are of oil but at this point. But, you know, I mean, the Russians can do it because they have a current account surplus, a trade surplus. They don't have a budget surplus, but they're spending the budget surplus. It's not a big deal. They're people, oh my God, they ran a $42 billion budget surplus through the first half of the year. Yeah. And their trade surplus was $70 billion. Do you think I give a fuck? I mean, if I'm Putin, I'm going, I you give a fuck. Where do you think that? And, you know, that money's going into the industrial sector to make more 155 millimeter shells and industrial output is through the roof. Like it's retarded. Like go, go look at the numbers I have. He can fight that war, he can fight a war of attrition. In a place that he's that Russians have fought many wars and beaten Europe many times over that land, that exact land, for hundreds of years. They know how to do it. And we're now caught in a quagmire there. That being said, you don't want the United States breaking up on someone else's terms. On because then it bails out Europe. It it actually feeds that whole minority report with more Germans, Klaus Schwabian, you will own nothing and like it or else thing. Well, the U.S. Sur- the U.S. could survive the cri- the political crisis that's on the horizon, and still break up, okay? And it'd be a divorce of, or it'd be a a divorce that is well earned, and eat and decided upon. But it shouldn't happen while these fucking boomers are running the show. While these geriatric fucking boomers, I just don't care anymore. Like these fucking didactic <laughs> utopian boomers who've destroyed the fucking country and all of this shit with all of their idealism. I'm sorry, it's over. Like you either hand the keys of the country over to us so that we can start rebuilding it, or you take your chances with the millennials who may turn around and go, you know what? Hey, look, we can just leave. They're so conflict averse, they will just leave as a cohort. Millennials are like really conflict averse, and they'll be like, oh, like, just go. Like they get it. And if California, you want to leave, leave. Florida, you want to leave, leave. And they won't, they don't care. They've been deracinated to the point where they don't have a home, right? And here you are, and you know, having left the United States, they're having left. And I mean, I just see that as it's happening and it's going to happen. But the question is, in what order of when in the order of operations of things that have to happen to heal the world? And I do believe that there's an order of operations to heal the world. I don't want it happening here. That doesn't heal the world. When it's happening down here, it's got to be ninth or tenth on the list, not third or fourth. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be a natural and organic outcome of an honest attempt at trying to right some of these wrongs, get things under control, and then going, okay, you know what? Okay, and then we have a plan by which we divvy up the debt, we divvy up the, you know, we divvy everything up, and it's not, it's not a shit show. Meanwhile, what are we seeing out of Biden and company? The biggest shit show you can ask for. So. All I can say is I see counter-revolutionary forces within the U.S. political system that are trying to fight this and trying to fight the the crazy march towards insanity, towards this inevitable conclusion. I see so many people trying to be trying to trying to lobby me that de-dollarization is happening at an unbelievable rate and the United States is politically is a clown show and this and everything almost like why is everybody trying to make me convince me of this? Ten years ago, when I was talking about this shit, everybody was like, no, it's not happening. Now, all of a sudden, everybody wants it to happen. Now, everybody's talking about it. It's not because it's reached critical mass. It's because this is what they want you to fucking know. Understand that that's the way this whole thing is constructed, including social media, including the mainstream media. And you come to the conclusion very quickly that someone is trying to gaslight you. Uh, I've been saying recently, gaslit by morons. Because these people are morons. They're not smart. Listen, really listen to you of our Harari talk. And that guy ain't smart. Okay? <laughs> listen to these people talk, and they're not smart. Listen to Ursula von der Leyen talk, and you're like, oh, my God. I wouldn't trust that woman to teach phonics to my eight-year-old. 
and she's running the European Union? I mean, I'm sorry. Most women are, you know, slightly higher, you know, are, are very narrow band of IQ. I'm sorry. She's her IQ is 90, maybe 95. She's just smart enough to like get up and get herself dressed in the morning and then read the teleprompter. It's all that's done. Like this, these are not philosopher kings. They are Nazis, but they're not philosopher kings. It's not tough. So just I, I watch this. I'm like, we don't have to be gaslit by these people. We should be mocking them at every turn, like I just did. Because the more we mock them, the quicker they fall apart. Because the one thing that their whole inevitability argument rests upon is us not looking at the reaction. <laughs> and it's laughing at them. And that's why they want desperately want control of Twitter again. Because Twitter is it's the most powerful advertising tool of ideas ever created. So let's dive into Twitter, actually. if we, let, Let's talk about Twitter. Let's talk about Twitter for a second. Mm-hmm. Part of me goes, is Elon really a good guy? Is he a plant? Is he... What's going on there? What do you think? Where did he get all this money from? Yeah, I don't think it's... No, like, if you look at what's happened with Elon Musk and Twitter, I say this all the time. Remember how back before he bought Twitter, timing is everything in all these things. This is If I doom scroll about these things, it's when, I, when, I, when I'm like searching for the breadcrumbs. I'm always looking at timing and then the cluster of events around a particular moment in time and then going, okay, so what's happened, right? What's going on here? What does this mean? So Elon, for months after you know, he says, hey, I, I've got a way around the poison pill strategy to buy Twitter and blah, 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 blah. I'm going to take you to court to prove that you're not worth $44 billion. And this is how I'm going to prove to the world that Twitter's a big giant joke, yada, yada, yada. And I'm going to fight you in court for months and months and months and months and months. And that was on Monday. And then the election happens or something. So I literally, I think it was the week of the election. And then the election happens on Tuesday. And by Friday, he buys Twitter. And he walks in with the kitchen sink and starts firing everybody and freezes the code and grabs the database of all the DMs before they have a chance to purge them. Because they really did think that he was going to like not buy the thing. And then he goes and buys it. These things all happen at the same time FTX blew up. I believe that the Fed blew up FTX on purpose because they hate stablecoins. I believe they blew up Terra Luna as well. I also believe that the Fed owns Tether at this point. Don't even get me started about that one. And we don't have time for that one. We're gonna we gotta go in a couple minutes. I think Musk buying Twitter and the downstream effects of what we have seen divulged since then, regardless of the fact that it, it hasn't netted out to prosecutions or this or any of these things. But what is it netted out to? Everybody going. How corrupt is this thing in Washington, D.C.? We always thought it was corrupt. We voted for Trump, for Christ's sake, because we knew Hillary was terminally corrupt. We knew that seven years ago. But now it's like, how blatant is the corruption? And again, we're getting to that critical mass moment. Does that sweep Trump in the, back into power in 2024? I might even believe there's going to be an election in 2024 if, if that were the case. I don't believe. And that's the same thing they're going to do to RFK Jr. So there's an angle on this that's very, very important. And they fucking hate Elon Musk at this point. They pulled all their money out of Twitter. They tried to dis- they tried to crash the company. They played the ESG game and, and forced all the advertisers to bolt. They got rid of Tucker Carlson on purpose for that exact same reason. Now Tucker's back on Twitter and Fox News is saying, they're going, cease and desist, cease and desist. He's like, why? I had a Twitter account beforehand. I got a Twitter account afterwards. Contract doesn't cover my social media, fuck off. It's so very obvious. They want fucking complete control over the narrative coming into the 2024 election. And they want to run Biden as a war president to, to for him to win. I don't even think he can make it till December for Christ's sake. And now we've got McCarthy out there. So I'm gonna, I don't trust Kevin McCarthy as far as I could throw him. I don't. But now he's talking about impeachment proceedings, impeachment with conviction and going to jail proceedings like serious not the shit that they did with donald trump like this is serious what's happening here and it's a big ship to turn around and you're trying to turn it around the suez canal and so it's going to look like you're losing when there's little chips that are happening and you see a little moments of winning in, in really important moments so that's what i'm looking for because i need to say as i want to stay hopeful Right, because I want to live my—I want to live my best life. I don't want to sit there on the front porch with a bottle of whiskey in one hand, a cigar in the other, and the SPF fifty thousand just waiting for the friggin', you know, waiting for the the flash. Like that's not what I want to do. So, otherwise, I can't get up in the morning and serve my patrons and serve the world and serve however I can. 
because ultimately, you know, we're all good Austro libertarians here. And we were, were reminded by Gary North that the essence of the free market is service, just how we get paid in the world. We serve our customers, we serve our constituents, we serve whoever it is. And if, as long as we do that to the best of our ability, well, then call me a Pollyanna if you want, but I'm going to go look for evidence of the good guys winning. Yeah, I'm not, not going to deny the, the, when the bad guys win. I'm just going to go look for the wins and then see how those wins pile up. And are they going to be enough to stop the nonsense, stop the crazy? I don't know. I don't have a good answer for it, but I'm hoping for it. Right. Very well said. Tom, brilliant. I love the conversation. I love the rants. I love going back and forth with you. Very, very good. If my audience wants to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, where can we send them? Sure. You can send them to my blog over tomluongo.me. There's a link on there to the Patreon at Patreon slash Cold Coats and Guns where you can become a, a patron. We do twice weekly market reports where you get a bit of a rant and then get some technical analysis on the most important markets in the world, like gold, silver, Bitcoin, and the Dow and, and, uh, and others, so that you marry both the political commentary, the cultural commentary with the financial commentary, because it's very important. And I also write private blogs as well. I call them the morning munchings because I'm a terrible Star Wars fan. And uh, and then we do the, the monthly newsletter where we have a portfolio, right, of how to navigate all this over Patreon. The blog is also where the podcast shows up as well. And then you can follow me on Twitter where I am a complete and utter asshole at TFL1728. And I pride myself on just how much of an asshole I can be on Twitter as often as possible because guess what? It works. It's fun and it's liberating in the best way imaginable. So there you go. That's what I got. So amazing. Tom, amazing to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for your time. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Mikhail. Take care now. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.